Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Go to Daniel chapter 6, because we are continuing our series uh, called The Prophet Daniel's Fantastical Guide to Thriving in Babylon. Uh, we're looking at the, this idea of what, what, what's it look like to be find yourself in a, in a place, in a society, in a culture in which there's a shift taking place. So for Daniel, it's a significant shift. Um, as he found himself in a completely different location, different country, trying to figure out how to do life there. Some of us kind of feel we can, we can sense the shift happening in, in our own culture um, and uh, the things that we valued and esteemed in the past, uh, they just aren't valued and esteemed as much anymore. And we're just trying to see, figure out how to do life. What's it take to survive in, uh, when, you, when you find yourself in exile? Trina and I do a fair amount of traveling. Uh, we uh, we travel internationally when I'm speaking or we got meetings or uh, here in the U.S. Uh, um, we got meetings or we're speaking here. And, um, you know, the, we have this list that we work off when we travel. It's kind of, it's our list of things, things we must have to survive when we travel. Um, and uh, it's at the very top of the list, the very first thing that we make sure that we have, that we've got packed uh, when, we, when we go someplace, especially someplace um, that's international, is the very first thing is Starbucks Via. We must have good coffee. I know it's a first world problem, but this is one of the things that's really important to us. We have, we got to make sure we got coffee. So we, we've got our Starbucks via number two on the list. It's on her, on Trina's list is that she has to travel, whether it's just like, like she just, like this weekend, she's on a trip visiting some friends. She took this with her. It's her pillow. Anyone, you have to have your pillow when you travel. Like you can't survive without someone else's. Okay, there's a few of you. This is, this is my wife, Trina. She has to have her pillow. She stuffs it in her, her carry-on. We get on a plane. Out it comes. That's what she uses when she sleeps. Me, I don't need my pillow, but I, there's some things I'm, I'm kind of needy to when I travel. Um, I, I have to have my noise-canceling headphones. Because uh, when you get on a plane and uh, there's a child screaming, um, I don't know what's going on, but you know, it's, it's just, it's bad. I just slip on my headphones and I just travel to another world. Uh, cancels all the noise out, m- most of it. Um, Trina has uh, her way of canceling noise. Is she, she brings these wax earplugs, kind of like the swimmers use. And puts those in her ears, like especially when we're in the Middle East traveling, it, 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 when the call to prayer goes off early in the morning, she doesn't have to hear it. And, and hypothetically speaking, if someone's snoring, she doesn't hear that either. Um, but we, we've got our list, and I could walk you through, because the list is longer. we got our stuff that we take with us that we feel like we must have in order to survive wherever we are going. And as we look at Daniel's story, here's what we're seeing. We're seeing a guy who's found himself, he's, he's literally traveled, he's been placed in a different, different nation, and, um, and as we've been looking at his story, what we're seeing is what it looks like to, to survive in exile. Not just survive, but to thrive. That, did you know this? That you, you can actually, your soul can thrive in a place that just seems very dark and it feels like it's going in the direction you wouldn't want to go. 
that Daniel in his story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if we've seen some of their story, we've seen, we've picked up some clues of, 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 of ways that they have lived that allowed their souls to thrive. And today, we're looking at a story. This is, this is one of those stories that every, it seems like everyone knows about Daniel in the lion's den. Um, I've taken the liberty to title the sermon here, Kitty Kitty. Uh, because I just, I'm trying to put some kind of new touch on this because it's such a common, well-known story. And as we look at it, what we're going to see here is I'm just going to read through the story and we're just going to observe how Daniel lived in exile. And then what we're going to do is as we make these observations, we're going to just look and see, okay, so what does that mean for us? You, you, you've noticed this, that, you know, the, the things that, you know, 40, 50 years ago, you might have, you might have called, like, our culture Christianized. Uh, it, the, the values that, that we see as biblical values, they were, they were held a little higher. In fact, people who were pastors, they were seen as, they were kind of respected in society. Well, there's been a shift, Right. And we, we've gone from a Christianized culture to, we, what do you say, like a postmodern culture. But we've moved from postmodernism, and now we're to post-Christian. Well, how do, we, how do we live in this kind of changing landscape? And we, we know fear's not an option. That's not going to do us any good. Well, Daniel helps us out as we observe from his life the different ways that he did life there in Babylon. So I'm just going to pick up the story, begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 6. Where it says, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces. And he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two other administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability... The king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. We'll hit the pause button there on the story because here's where we get our first clue of how Daniel lived. Uh, Daniel, he, he's, he's rising up in, in position, in power in Babylon. And, and now ba- the Babylonian Empire has been conquered. Now the Medes and Persians are in. And, uh, and Darius, is, he's got 120 governors. He's picking three guys to go over the top of those 120, a governor of governors. And Daniel's in charge of the governor of governors. So he's risen to the top. And as he's risen to the top in this political setting, there are people who are not happy that they're, on, they're not at the top. And so what do they do? They begin looking for dirt that they can dig up to harm the reputation of Daniel because they don't like the fact that he's in charge. Aren't you glad that this doesn't happen in politics today? <laughs> or maybe we should just note, this has been going on in politics for centuries, right? It's just like, hey, somebody's got a job I got or I want, and I, I, I want to... I want to harm them. I want to kind of dig up some dirt. And so uh, that's what's been going on, and it's going on here. Um, and aren't you looking forward to next year's election? Because uh, you're going to see Daniel 6 come alive, probably, because this is what takes place. Look, and so what, the, what happens here is that they're looking for dirt, and they cannot find any. They can't find any dirt on Daniel. He's high capacity, high competency, and high 
character. And right at the very beginning of Daniel chapter 6, we might race past this to try to get to the lion's den, but what we learn real quickly is simply this. In order for us to thrive in exile, we must have a skeleton-free closet. This is is what, what Daniel, they're looking for dirt on him, and they can't find dirt. This idiom of a, you know, a skeleton in your closet, it's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a creepy, kind of, I guess it fits Halloween week, but it's, it's sort of a creepy idiom. And it has to do with this idea that there is somebody who it appears has high character, high integrity, and they seem to be beyond reproach. But what no one knows is actually there's been a deed that's been done. In this case, it's a pretty significant evil deed, murder, and a body has been hidden somewhere in the home, in, in, in a closet, and it's been some time, and the, this person's been able to dupe others for quite some time, but the, it, now this body is decayed, and all you have left is bones. Ah, but one day, the closet door opens, and reality is revealed, and we find out this person isn't quite what you thought or expected that they would be. This is what these political leaders are hoping to do with Daniel. I'm going to find some dirt on this guy. Then we're going to bring out the skeleton. Then we're going to to show King Darius that this guy is not as trustworthy as you thought. Look at his character. They're going to fling some dirt, fling some mud his way, and they can't find anything. Now, we're going to see here in a bit what they're going to do is they're going to have to make some mud so they can fling it at him, but they find nothing. Friends, can I just say this? As we enter into our world, more than anything right now, what, what, what we need to be focusing on is not all the chatter and all the things that maybe capture our attention, but really what we need to understand is our own hearts and what's going. Are we a people who are walking in authentic relationship with Jesus? And are we, are we walking in the light as he is in the light? Or are there secrets? Or the things that we have not dealt with, that we have not become before our Christ. Our Christ does not condemn us. He invites us to come into the light with him and to confess these things to him. But one of the questions that we must ask ourselves, uh, that was put up here on the screen behind me, is, do I have any secrets? And can I just say, no secrets, no shame. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, as we walk into our culture, walk into our city, walk into our neighborhoods, we must reflect the Jesus that we worship. And, and yes, we're all broken people. I mean, there's, there's brokenness all around you. There's brokenness up here on the platform today. And what we do is we get to bring our brokenness to a Christ who graciously forgives. And we've celebrated that. Jeff led us this morning in that. We've celebrated that reality. But if we're going to thrive in Babylon, we must walk in authenticity with our Christ with a skeleton-free closet. Let's keep picking up the story here. Verse 5, as we continue, it says, So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. They're going to make some dirt here. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius! We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. 
And now, your majesty, issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open to Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. We'll stop there. If we're going to thrive in Babylon, if we're going to, th- if we're going to, if we're going to live as Christ followers uh, in, in exile, we've been pushed to them. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that if, if we indeed have a, we're living at the margins of society now, then one of the things we must understand is we must live with, with, with a skeleton-free closet. And the second thing we see right here from the story is we must embrace good old-fashioned obedience. Now, I just got to be honest with you. This story, I mean, Daniel... He, he gets the news, new law has been passed. These guys, they, they, they've been looking for some dirt. They can't find it. They go make dirt, fling some mud at Daniel, and they've decided that they're going to go to the king, and they're going to stroke his ego. Oh, king, we're going to, for 30 days for the next month, we're going to pass a law that no one can pray to any human or any god but you because you're just like a god. Oh, thank you so much. Sign that law. It's in, it's in for 30, 30 days. And Daniel, because he's in leadership, hears that this law is taking place. He goes home. He goes, he's about 80 years old at this point in time in his life. He goes home, opens the shutters in his, uh, his apartment or his home to, as he prays toward Jerusalem and prays like he always does three times a day. I just got to tell you, that, you know, if I'm in Daniel's shoes and I hear that there's a law that's been passed, that you can't pray, and if you do get caught praying, you're going into the lion's den? I'm not going to pray to King Darius, but i tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to go home and open the windows and pray. (laughs) But this this guy, he's like 80 years old. I've been doing this for 80 years. You're not going to change me now. I'm going to go home and open the shutters. This is what I'm doing. I'm not changing. You can try. (laughs) I mean, it's just just good old-fashioned obedience. He's like, here's the thing. Obedience is, we love obedience because when we, when we love to do things that God loves. But we're not, that's not the kind of obedience I'm talking about. I'm talking about the kind of obedience where God says, I want you to do this. And in your mind, you're going, oh, God, I appreciate your input. Um, but I'm not sure it's the wisest thing. I'm not sure that's smart. In fact, I think that if I do what you're saying, that actually might invite some pain into my life, some suffering into my life. See, God says things like, um, you know, love your enemies. Love that part of the Bible. It's just, I mean, living it out is, I'm not sure that is, that's really doable. Bless those who persecute you. Forgive as I have forgiven you. See, Jesus calls us to obey, and there's these times, I mean, it's great to obey when we agree with God, but when he says something that seems counterintuitive, there's something in us that kind of chafes at the idea that Daniel, he's just heard no praying for 30 days. And and he's just going to keep on doing what he's doing because he knows King Darius is not a God. I'm going to pray the one God who is a living God, and I know that might put me in harm's way. And this is the kind of wisdom that Solomon is talking about in Proverbs chapter 3. Some of us grew up memorizing Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We left a little bit of verse 7 out, but here's what it says. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and, and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. And here's verse 7. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. See, when we're following God and we obey, what you will discover is sometimes you come to a crossroads and God tells you to do something that feels risky. Or it it's just going to make me look foolish. I don't know if I can afford that. And these are the moments when we get to learn obedience. In fact, friends, this is exactly what Jesus did. Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews says this. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. And even though Jesus was God's son, he learned, get this, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. The writer of Hebrews is reflecting on the moment when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. And if you remember that story, Jesus is in the garden and he's saying, Father, if there's any other way we could get this accomplished, uh, I'd like that. If, if it's possible, would you take this cup of, cup of suffering from me? And what the writer of Hebrews tells us is that because Jesus had reverence for the Father, the Father heard him and answered his prayer. He just answered it with a no and said, no, this, this is it. And Jesus is saying, if there's, any other, if, if there's a possibility that we could get this accomplished, this idea of redemption, that we, we could get this accomplished any other way, please, let's go that way because I don't like the idea of being nailed to a cross. Yet, when the father answered, he yielded, he surrendered and said, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus learned obedience. And because he learned obedience, we're here today. We're worshiping him. We have been adopted into the family of God because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. We celebrated communion today because Jesus learned obedience. And he submitted to the will of the Father. This is what Daniel does. Daniel, he's not panicked. I'm not saying he's not concerned. I'm sure he's concerned. But he engages in good old-fashioned obedience, goes home, opens the windows, the shutters, prays. And we'll pick up the story here. I'll pick it up again in verse 10. It says, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home. And knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his with windows open towards Jerusalem. Marie, I forgot that. Can I just put this question in front of you from that last point? Here's the question. When are we saying to God, I think I know better? Because isn't that what disobedience is? We're saying to God, appreciate your input. I'm going to go this way. Daniel doesn't go there. We'll pick it up here again. Verse 11, Then the officials went together to Daniel's house, found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law for the next 30 days that any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of his predicament. 
What do we need to take with us on this journey into exile? We need a skeleton-free closet. We need good old-fashioned obedience. And the third thing I would suggest in the story is we need perspective. The kind of perspective that Rob alluded to last week when he talked about seeing, being in that airplane and looking out to the window and seeing the vastness of the earth and the beauty of the earth and being reminded that there is a God who is creative, that there is a God who is powerful, that there is a God who is never out of control. He sees all. He's sovereign. But what often happens is when we find ourselves in hardship that we, we, we lose perspective and our responses are not in proportion to what we're going through. It's kind of like when I was coaching Little League with my son Chase. He was like eight or nine years old. We're in Kelso, Washington. We're at a Little League game. I'm coaching. There's a kid up to bat. He's, uh, he, he's there at the bat. And, uh, and his mom, every time this kid comes up to bat, mom comes out where, wherever she's seated watching the baseball game. And she comes and she gets in the seat in the grandstand behind home plate so that she can make sure that the ump is calling balls and strikes correctly. And she's letting the ump know. Well, the kid has got two strikes on him. The next pitch is coming. He takes the pitch. The ump calls it a strike. She does not believe it's a strike, and she comes unglued and down the steps from the grandstand behind home plate. There's a backstop. You got the wood base. You got the you know the chain link fence, and she jumps literally jumps up on top of the backstop on the top of the wood, grabs the, the screen and starts shaking it, and is just screaming at the ump. She's like frothing at the mouth. I mean, there's like there's like fluid flying out of her mouth it took me like five minutes to get trina off that off that fence uh it wasn't her we were there and we were watching it and we're like oh my goodness this is little league this is we're not even this is not even a championship game this is just a game I mean, maybe if it's the World Series, Game 7, bottom of the ninth, bases are loaded, and so, you know, maybe that would be a chance to, to go up. But even then, it's just a game, right? It's, it's like when you take your four-year-old to the grocery store, and they want ice cream, and you say no. And down to the floor they go, and there's like, it's like pounding on the glass door. Like, I gotta have ice. Like, if you don't give me this, you don't understand. I'm gonna suffocate and die right here in the grocery store, right? It's a loss. I mean, it's a four-year-old, so that's, that's normal. It's the trust fund baby who gets on the plane and doesn't have a seat in first class like they expected. And they realize they gotta sit back in the back with those people. It's... It's this perspective that's so narrow that prompts all kinds of fear and panic when things aren't going your way. Daniel, here's the law. No dirt can be dug up on him. We don't get any sense from the text that he's panicking. I'm, I'm sure he's concerned. He's praying like he always does. And then he realizes that his friends have made dirt and he's in trouble and he got perspective here when you understand who god is and you know just how amazing and sovereign and powerful and almighty he, he is when you have a perspective that he is the god of the impossible there's nothing that's impossible with him if you have that perspective, let me tell you this, it takes all the fear out of hardship. 
I'm not saying that it takes like, like, like oh, no big deal. No, it's a, it's a big deal. It's just that Daniel's, you know, what's going on here right now, this is just, this is just temporary. Eternal's coming. And I'm not, I'm not going to give in for a short-term win here and now and lose out on the long-term perspective of what God has for me. I'm not saying that he's not, that there's a concern in his heart that he's, that he's, that he's not, like, he's not going, I don't know, I'm looking forward to meeting those lions. It's going to be a great day. No, that's not what he's thinking. But he's thinking that there is a God who is God. And I'm not losing perspective of him. Even if it means that it cost me my life. Let me ask you this question. Who, who's shaping your perspective? Who's shaping? Do you know that when you go on social media and when you go on your on the internet and you click on whatever you click on, have you bless you? Do you have, you, have you noticed that all of a sudden you get all these ads? Ever, the people are and what they're, they're trying to. You know, you need this. You want this. Do you realize that there's an entire industry out there just to shape your perspective? Sometimes it's your family. Sometimes, sometimes it's good people. People who loved you. Who's shaping your perspective? Because when pain comes and hardship comes, that's the perspective you're going to take with you into that trial. Let's keep going here in the story. Uh, Verse 15 says, In the evening, men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal. And the seals of his nobles, so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of a living God, was your God, whom you serve so faithfully, able to rescue you from the lion's? And Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found in him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had thrown them, he had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered 
during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Friends, if we're going to thrive in exile, we need skeleton-free closets, good old-fashioned obedience, perspective, and the last thing we need, as from the story, is that we need battle-tested faith. There are different kinds of faith. I mean, there, there's, uh, there's this sort of presumptive faith. You might want to call it stupid faith. Like the, the video here, you can see, of, of a woman in the Bronx Zoo who got into the lion's den uh, and is waving and then decides to, to dance. I would just love a little thought bubble above the lion. Like, really? You're this, really this is happening right now? There's the kind of faith that takes action, but it's not based on listening. It's not rooted in listening to what God's calling us to. But there's a battle-tested faith, and it's a faith that has been tested and proven through time. Friends, a couple things I want you to know about about this text. Please don't walk away from hearing this message and walk away with, here's the takeaway, that if I trust God, he will keep me from all pain and suffering because that's what he did for Daniel. Can I just remind you that there's someone else who was put in a hole in the ground and there was a stone rolled in front of that, that, that hole and there was a seal put on that stone and that person who was put behind that stone suffered and bled and died. His name is Jesus. And he conquered death and came out of that den and we celebrated his life and death today. His resurrection, and we, and we anticipate his return. But friends, please do not take from this message the fact that, boy, if I have enough faith, I will not experience any hardship. That's not the point of the story. You can be saved. Daniel was saved. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved. But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is, see, Daniel gets to this point not because he had an intellectual faith that began here and then suddenly he found himself facing the lion's den and he said, okay. No, no. What we see in Daniel's life is a young kid who's uprooted from his home in Israel. He's put in an exile train, likely walking naked with the, with the, with the prisoners going to Babylon. He's then recruited and put in the king's service. He's made a eunuch. He's then indoctrinated into Babylonian education. He finds himself having to take a risk and say, hey, can we change the menu? And that might mean he dies by bringing that up. He then is told that he's going to be executed because the king had a dream no one can tell. And he asks for a stay of execution. That was risky. He sees his friends thrown into a fiery furnace And all along the way, when we get to Daniel the lion's den, we have a guy who's been expressing faith in every single way, sometimes very small, sometimes in some bigger ways. So the point when you get to Daniel in the lion's den, his faith can be expressed from a reality of his experience with God and God watching over him. Friends, think about this. God is preparing. He's growing your faith. He's placing before you opportunities for you to trust him so your faith can grow. But oftentimes we find ourselves complaining. Like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was not happy. He said, you know what, God? I don't like the way that people are living. They're not living like you tell us to live. In fact, I don't like the fact that you've given me the job of telling them they're not living up to your standards. I don't like my job. I want out. God responds to him in Jeremiah chapter 12 by saying this, If racing against mere men makes you tired, 
How will you race against horses? If you stumble and fall on open ground, what will you do in the thickets near the Jordan? Do you know what God is saying to Jeremiah? He's saying, suck it up, buttercup. I put you in the open field so that you could run with men, so that your faith could grow, so that I could have you run in the thickets, because guess what? Things are not getting better, and I need you to grow in your faith, because I have a greater call on your life to keep preaching to the exiles. Friends, if we're going to survive and thrive in exile, we must allow God to grow our faith by expressing trust in him. One of the things that would help us is, is, is if we would just take some time to reflect on those moments when we said yes to God and our faith was tested. You learned something about who God is in those moments. You trusted him. It didn't seem to make sense to you. You did it, and you had an encounter with God. You may not describe it that way, but you did. You had an experience with him. I challenge you to take some time this week and just reflect on those moments. You look back and go, man, I didn't know if God was going to come through. He did. Some of you are in a moment now. This is not the time. That, and that's too early. Think back. Think back to a moment. Because if you and I, if we are going to thrive and take our cues from Daniel, then we too are going to need to have our faith grow so that we too can be people who are seen as people of high character, no skeleton in our closet, people with good old-fashioned obedience, perspective of who God is, and a proven battle-tested faith. Let's pray together. So Lord, what do you want us to know about you today? And what are you calling us into? Who are you and where are you taking us? For some in the room, Lord, for many in the room, you're just taking us right back to the fundamentals, opening the windows on our knees, praying three times a day. Lord, you are good. We yield our will to yours, and we say that your kingdom come and your will be done. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.